Aren't those beautiful words today? We're going to get into those in just a little bit. A couple things before we, before we dive in. Uh, just a reminder, concert tonight at 6.30. Everything will start at 5.30. Hot dogs for giving away backpacks. Just come and be a part of that. We'd love to see you out there. It's going to be hot, so bring your little you know spray fan things and all those good stuff that you bring in your lawn chairs, and, and just come enjoy tonight. It's free. If you would like to help, we can point you to how to do that um, just as we reach our community. I'm so thankful for this opportunity that we have tonight to do that. Don't forget on your connection cards, we really do pray for you every week and we'd love to know uh, how we can pray for you today. Our staff prays over those on Mondays. We have people who pray over those on Tuesdays. Our elders are praying over those every week. So please let us know how how we can pray for you as you fill those out. In the beginning. There's three very basic very simple words, but three words that really change everything. In the biblical narrative, in the beginning, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. We saw a little bit ago, in the beginning was the word. Those words mean more than we could probably ever imagine. Because there's a beginning to everything, a genesis to every story, to your story of faith, to the way that God moves. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the trees and the mountains, and he decorated their peaks, and he made the sand on the seashores, and he made the sea to lap against the sand. And when God created everything, he looked down and he created man, male and female. In his image, he created them image bearers. Those who were to carry his light and his love to the world, God created his people to carry his name to the world. We are those people. But you know the story, most likely you know the story. And if not, let me tell you. God created male and female in the garden. He placed them in this perfect place where they walked with him in the cool of the day where he knew Adam and Eve intimately. And he told them, you can have anything that you want in this garden except for this tree, this tree right here. Trust me when I say I want you to avoid it. I I want you not to eat of this. But along came the serpent who began to... I'll try and break down the trust that Adam and Eve had in God. It's really what he does with all of us. He says, I know that you trust God, but let me start telling you sweet little lies that you might believe, that you might start to tear down that belief in God, and you might go, but wait a minute. Maybe I know better. Maybe I can do this. And so Adam and Eve do what any of us really probably would have done. They sought something that was bad for them. And they said, well, let me try it out. And the fruit that they bit into came back to bite them in the end. In the beginning, God created and it was perfect and it was good. And he knew that those he loves would betray him. He knew that it would be different. He knew that his perfect creation wouldn't stay perfect forever, but he created anyway. In love, he moved his image bearers out of a perfect garden into a painful world where they would have to work the ground and there'd be increased pain and childbirth and all of these things. And yet God said, but I will never leave you or forsake you. I will still be with you. But even as it was then, I still need you to trust me. In the beginning, 
Those words, I think, ring out to us. They call out to us because they invite us into a greater story than the one we can tell ourselves. We long for the perfect world that that was. We want to live in that world. We long for the perfection that God will one day bring in the new world. We long for the peace and the harmony of walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Our souls cry out for redemption, and one day God will redeem all things back to himself. He will create all things new, yet we as image bearers now stumble and struggle and fight for our own image. We're created in the image of God, but we want people to know who we are. We want to be glorified instead of glorifying the one who is above all things, the one whose image we are created in, that we are to lift on high, to show all things to all people that he loves them. This is our purpose. This is who we have been destined to be. Not making a name for ourselves and pushing God to the side, but making a name for him and calling all men to him. How wonderful that the creator God would whisper to us, I love you, even when we don't love ourselves. How wonderful that the creator God would lean into his creation and say, I want to redeem you. How amazing that he would speak the words to us and say, follow me. That he would come in the God-man Jesus to redeem the world, to bring salvation to us, to give us the opportunity to come to him. Let this great and wonderful love wash over you. Know that the God who created the heavens and the earth loves his world, his creation, and he loves you, his image bearer, the one whom he has made to follow him and to know him, that his love draws us into a beautiful story, a story of God's redemption and his plan to save all of man. In the beginning, the story of our faith begins, and it continues to this day. The story of a once perfect creation turning its back on a holy God, and God still saying, I love you. In the middle, some of us have figured out a way to lean into that story because we are his image bearers. And as his creation and as his sons and daughters, we lean in and we listen and we follow. And the same story we lean into today is the story that John was telling a church in Ephesus, these people that he knew long ago, saying, lean in, listen to what God has to say. We see that today in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. That's where we're going to be today. It's page 1023 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. And we lean in to find out what God has in store. We lean in to find out the benefits of his love and this great love that we get to have for him. So if you would, turn with me to John, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it that overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. God loves you. 
The past few weeks, we've spent some time in in 1 John 4, leaning into this, understanding that God is love, that his love is perfected in us, and that his perfect love drives out fear. It brings us confidently before the throne. His love was the first move on the cross, and he said, checkmate. And he wants us to surrender to him, to understand that great and abiding love that he has for us, that there is nothing greater than living with the Father, having faith in him, that we would believe and follow him and know him. But we have to respond to his love. We have to know that in the middle of all the chaos that we see around us, God still speaks and he still says, I love you. And according to 1 John 5, God's love leads us to belief. God's love leads us to believe who he is, who he says he is. And at some point, every man and woman who has ever walked the earth has to come face to face with this. We've got to come to this point where we just say, I'm going to walk in the light of God's love and I'm going to follow him. Or I'm going to walk in darkness and hatred and I am going to turn my back on him. It's the equal and opposite reaction to who God is, to his love speaking into us. We follow and we become his light and his love in the world or we turn our back on him and we seek our own way. The decision is up to each of you to make. It's up to each of us daily to choose who will we follow. And there are benefits to his love. And this is what we see here in 1 John. 1 John 1, 5, 1 1 John 5, 1 says this, he's like, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's a great benefit to us. If you can say, honestly, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, then guess what? There's a promise for you. You have been born of God. You are now considered his child. This is huge. If God created us as his image bearers, if he placed us in this world to say, carry my image, carry my light and my reflection and be my children. And he gives us this opportunity to come to him and he never forces us to believe. He never says, you will absolutely do what I command at all times. He never says, you will be the one who comes to me. He says, follow me, choose me, believe in me. That choice is up to each of us. He doesn't force us to make a decision if we will follow him or not. He says, I love you. Is that enough? I died for you. Is that enough? I bring salvation. He calls out to us in love. And he says, if you believe that Jesus is the son, that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, then guess what? You have been born of me. You are now my child, my son, my daughter. Salvation is clearly a benefit to belief. This understanding that we have freedom from our sin, this hope to carry on to the next day. The fact that Jesus calls each of us sons and daughters is a big deal that you are sitting next to image bearers in the kingdom of God that he loves you. That he loves you so much. He would give you all that he can. That he would say, come and enjoy eternity with me if you believe. Those who come to belief in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, have come to be a part of a much bigger family than we could ever dream of. We see this promise in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15. Paul writing to a church that he has yet to visit, to a people that he knows follow Jesus, and reminding them there are some truths to what we know. This is what he says, but you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What does first John tell us? Perfect love cast out fear. 
We can come confidently before God. But you, you've received a spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit of God that lives in you that we know is teaching us and having and bringing confidence that we might follow God is teaching us what it is to follow him. John's letter has told us and what we read last week. We do not fear because we have the love of the father in us. It's perfected in us, teaching us what it is to follow him. Paul says, don't fall back into this spirit of slavery, the spirit of fear, the spirit of evil. The sin that continues to drive us. He says, remember, you are free. You do not have to live the way that you once did. You are free in Christ. And the most freedom I have ever found is in the parameters that he puts around me, reminding me I am his son. We are sons and daughters, children of the king. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You've taken off the old, put on the new, and you are part of his family. You can cry out to the God of the universe no matter where you are and say, Daddy, I need you. I love you because he calls you son, because he calls you daughter. And if you believe in Jesus as the son of God, the Savior, the Christ, then guess what? You are co-heirs. The same inheritance that he gets is the inheritance that you gain. My adopted children, my boys, get the same inheritance as the rest of my kids. Why? Because they're my children. There is no difference whether their skin looks the same or not, whether they're born in another country or not. They are my children adopted as sons, brought into the same family. We are brought into the family of God because he has chosen to adopt us as his sons and daughters and give us the inheritance of eternity with him. And we live for that truth. Sometimes it's not easy to hold on to our beliefs. Sometimes the enemy is whispering lies to us, telling us we're not good enough, telling us we have to do more to earn this. And God is out there saying, no, that's not the case. But the enemy keeps saying, now you can't trust him. You can't believe him. And God says, no. And he whispers gently in our ear, I love you. And so we lean into the love that the father has for us. And we stand on the truth that he has for us. Because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then guess what? There's a promise. You are born of God, which makes you his son, his daughter. If his love leads us to belief, then his love also leads us to love. Second half of verse two. Everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. If we love the father, then we love those who are a part of the family with us. Regardless of political lines, regardless of what you believe to be true or not, whether this world is out to get you or not, you love the Father and He is true. He is first, and we believe that He is true first. John is writing to a church that had a lot of false teachers, people causing division, people saying, Oh, Jesus isn't enough. And John's going, Uh uh, Jesus is all you need. Reminding these people, guess what? You love the father first. And so you love those who've been born of him, even if they disagree with you, but you love those who have been born of him because this is who he is. And the benefit of our love for the father is that we are born of him. Simply put, you're a child of God and you love others who are his children as well. I don't see divisiveness in our body. I don't see a lack of love in our body. But I am reminded daily that my job is to love the father first and his love to pour out of me. 
But I do know this. Some of us struggle to love our families. Some of us see those that we are related to in flesh and blood, and we have a hard time loving because, well, we don't understand decisions made. We don't understand why. We struggle to love strangers as well. But all of that should pour out of a love that we have for the Father first. Out of an understanding of his goodness and his love that the Savior has come, that we are born of him, that we know him. And our lives become centered on him. He is the first focus of our day, the first focus of our moments. He's all that we need. Christ's love, God's love leads us to love. It's the mark of our growing relationship. My mama used to tell me, garbage in, garbage out. What I put in is what's going to come out of me. It's going to define who I am. Jesus said it like this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we put into our hearts determines a whole lot about us. What's our overflow like? John tells us the way that we know this love of God is by following him, by obeying him, by his commandments. The reaction that we have to God's love is that we follow and obey because God's love leads us to obedience. It's often the point here where we kind of go, is this really what I want to sign up for? Do I really want to obey what God has to say? Can't I do it my own way? Can't I fight for my right to party however I want? But belief in God leads us to love him more. It leads us to honor him more. It leads us in turn to obey him. This love, this obedience is an outward sign of our faith That we love the Father first and so we obey him and his commands. We may think that we have freedom to pick and choose whatever we want to do, but God's freedom leads us to parameters to say, I love him and I want to follow where he is leading me. I've chosen to submit myself to God's love. I've chosen to submit myself to him as the king. But Timothy Keller points out this. We don't want a king. We want a consultant in the person of Jesus to advise us as we order our lives. We don't want a king. We want a consultant. We want Jesus to kind of sit over here and say, yeah, I think you should do this, or I think you should maybe go here. We want to sit on the throne. We want him to consult us and tell us how to do it. We didn't sign up for our faith for God to be our consultant. We signed up for him to be our Lord and our boss of our life. Yes, we can say and do whatever we want, but when we fully put him as the king on the throne, then we understand that our decisions have ramifications in the world. One of my least favorite phone calls I've ever gotten in ministry was when somebody called me one day. And they said, hey, this person that goes to your church was not being a very good witness for Jesus today on the soccer field. They were chewing people out. They were using words that would not at all honor Christ. Does our witness in the world reflect who we say that we believe that Jesus is? Do we show his love? Is he really the king? Or is he just a consultant to make us feel good and maybe point us in the right direction? Obedience to the commandments of God shows our deep love for him. People know that we choose to love God and obey him. They see what we post. They see what we show. But it also means that he must be the king and not the consultant. 
We have to give him access to our lives, to follow him, to not merely ask for advice and then not walk with him. We show God's love by keeping his commandments, by obeying what he asks us to do. But there's a beautiful promise written to us here in verse 3. His commandments are not burdensome. How can that be? I believe his commandments aren't burdens to us. They're not trouble for us because of our deep love for him. Because in love, he's given us all that we need to obey and to live out his commands. He's given us of his spirit. He's brought us into his family. What a benefit to know that God, our father, loves us as his children. And because he loves me as his child, I can then love him as my daddy. Have you ever noticed at some point in your life, it didn't become difficult to follow the rules set around you? Maybe it was growing up and your parents said, I need you to make your bed. And you said, but I don't want to make my bed. They said, no, make your bed. You said, okay. It wasn't like you fought against it because you didn't know it was right. Maybe you fought against it a little bit because you're like, I don't want to do that. But somehow in this understanding of love, you said, okay, I can do this. Maybe in your house, like our house, kids have to ask to be excused from the table. Teaching them manners, that's the expectation. And so they do it. Why? Because we love them. Because they know that love. Because they know that we're not out to get them, to harm them. We're not teaching them things that will not be a benefit to them later in life. We're teaching them things that teach them manners and how to honor people well, how to love others well. We tell them, you'll come serve with us. I don't want to. It doesn't matter. We serve because that's what God has asked us to do. Because out of love, we follow him. Have you ever noticed that when love is the parameter that is set around you following the rules, Obeying God's commands just seems to be easier. Could it be that the more we love God, the easier it is to follow him? And that's why his commands are not burdensome to us. In a true relationship with God, where we believe him to true, then we naturally learn to love him. We naturally learn to lean into him and to follow him. It's the joy and the beauty of our faith. That a loving God would send his son to die for us. That we love because he loved us and he called us his children. It unifies our belief. It helps us know we are not alone. That we love and obey our father together. That we're part of a great big family of faith. And not just those that you see, but there is something bigger. A bigger story in the beginning. God's story began to be told. And it continues with us today. If you love Jesus, if you believe that he is the Christ and you are his child, the son of God, and if you've been born of God, and if you love God the Father, then you know you have been born of him, and this love causes you to obey him and to love others who are also born of him. It calls us to obedience to the commandments of God. We love, we believe, we obey. We react to God's love. It's the joy of being his child. To be loved fully and completely for who you are because God knows everything about you and he says, I love you. But then there's this really, really cool assurance, advantage to our faith that sometimes we forget. That sometimes we stray away from, we say, I don't know. You know, we live in a time in history that many of us say is unprecedented. 
We've never done this. We don't know what it's like. It's unprecedented. In some ways, that's true. We are more technologically advanced than any other society ever. We talk to people through our watches. We have FaceTime. We can see people across the world. In fact, we're probably more globally connected than at any time since the Tower of Babel. There are people watching our service online right now. I'm so thankful that you have the opportunity to do that. That we can connect with people. But we're not the first generation to live through a pandemic. We're not the first generation to watch an election year happen and people bicker and fight with each other, whether they're politicians struggling to get a leg up on the other or your friends who you're bickering with over who is right or wrong. We're not the first ones to do this. We're not the first ones to have lived through a recession, if that's where we lead. We're not the first one to discover that not everybody has the same faith that we do. And we're definitely not the first ones to realize that there are other things straining and striving for our attention other than Jesus. The thing is, no matter what time period you live in, your life is a vapor. Our presidential candidates' lives are a vapor. They will not last on this earth forever. We will not last on this earth forever. No matter what happens today or tomorrow will not be the end of eternity because there is no end to eternity. And so we don't live for these present times. We live for the time to come, always looking forward to the author and perfecter of our faith, always looking up to him, always longing for who he is. The world is full of evil and yet God is reaching in to redeem the world to say, I have something better. Look to me, trust me, love me, follow my commandments. Lies are told, lives are torn down all because the enemy has been fighting against God since when? Since the beginning. But we focus on the one who is working to redeem all things, to make all things new, to create in us a better story. God is still on the throne and we focus on him. The promise is this. No matter how bad the world gets, no matter how much evil seems to win, the one born of God does what? What does it say? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Children of God overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? We don't overcome because we're the smartest people in the room. We don't overcome because we figured out some magic formula. We overcome because of Jesus, because of our faith in him. We're reminded of this in 1 John, first service, we sang the song, faith is the victory, faith is the victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. We're reminded that there's something bigger then the story that we tell ourselves that we're in, there's something bigger, not because we have faith that the chair that we sit in will hold us or that we have faith that when we watch a service online and try to engage, I won't look like this and pause for a moment because our internet failed us. We have faith in the things that we believe to work, the things that we believe to be true. We have faith because God has overcome the world. And who is it that overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That's the only way to overcome all of the things that we see, all of the trouble that we believe is the end all be all. No, we have a greater faith 
We believe in Jesus and he is the way to overcome. We place our trust in him as our savior because he has overcome, because he has a better story to be written in our lives because he loves us. It's difficult to miss the significance of faith and belief and understand they're basically the same thing. In the Greek and in the English, they come from the same root. They basically mean the same thing. We have faith and we believe because of who God is. To believe something to be true, we put our faith in that thing. We believe that what we have engaged in today will work out. We believe that the air conditioning will work in this building and that the Oklahoma heat won't get to us. We believe the lights will remain on, but even if they don't, we believe that God is bigger. We believe that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, and so we put our faith in him, faith and belief in what we know to be true. Billy Graham famously said, I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I have never seen the wind. In the same way, We've never seen the wind, but we live in Oklahoma. We know the effects of the wind. We know it to be true. Hebrews 11 tells us this faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We know it to be true because we believe. Faith is the driving force of our relationship with God. Through faith, we believe. We know that he is true. We know that he is good and merciful and kind. He is full of mercy and abounding in love, but we also know that he is the judge and one day he will judge the saints and the sinners the same. And he says, if you believe in me, if you believe in my son, Jesus, if you follow me, then guess what? I know you, you are mine. One day we know that all of this will be wiped away and recreated because he is making all things new. If you follow Jesus for a long time, then you know he is making you new. You know that the things you once did are no longer the things you do because of the transformation he is making in your life. He's come to make all things new. We take off the old, we put on the new daily so that we follow him and know who he is, that one day heaven and earth will be recreated. There will be a new heaven and a new earth because of who he is. But until that day, we have victory. We overcome the world because of Jesus And we know that our belief in him leads us to action. It leads us to following his commandments. And what are his commandments? Well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we focus on him. We love him with all that we have. We give him all that we have. And out of that, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We focus first on the Lord. Then we understand this love that he has for us that has to show the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks and we show it in our actions. Love of the father is poured in. Love of the father goes out and we cannot help but love our neighbor. So who's your neighbor? Jesus used this as an example of a good Samaritan, somebody of a different race, didn't look like everybody else. He said, well, that's your neighbor. You look around the world, the person you're sitting next to, that's your neighbor. You go out, you drive your car, the person that is really not driving well and you're a little bit mad at, that's your neighbor. The people who actually live next to you, they're your physical neighbors. You go to the store, you see your neighbor, the kid crossing the street to get to school or riding a bus, that's your neighbor. The teacher going into a classroom full of anxiety because they don't really know what the year will hold, that's your neighbor. The person at Walmart, the people at the park, the people in line at Chick-fil-A, even those at the polls in a few months, whether they agree with you or not, neighbor, neighbor, 
neighbor. The love of the Father flows out from us because we are born of God, because we are his children. And love drives us to love because we love the Lord our God first. The maker of the heavens and earth, the giver of all good things, love drives us because it unites us as sons and daughters of the king. That is our unifying factor. If you leave here today and you're like, oh, I don't know if I like that person or love them, guess what? You are unified in the body of Christ regardless of your political opinion, regardless of where you go home, regardless of where you live. And we live in a lot of places. They're your neighbor. And we are all born of God if we have chosen to follow him, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ. We give it all to him. We're baptized into his name and we follow and we know I'm part of something bigger. So he becomes our focus. The focus of our life, the giver of our salvation, the king of kings and lord of lords becomes our focus. Why? Because in love, he gave himself up for us. On the cross that he would die to save us from our sin, that he would be buried, that he would rise again in the resurrection, that one day we will rise again in the resurrection ourselves. But we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to focus on the lies. We tend to Bite into the fruit that will come back to bite us, but he is our peace. He brings us life. Do you want in on that life? That good, pleasing, perfect, joyful life that we have in him? I can tell you this, I want nothing more. Nothing more in this world than to know Christ and make him known. I want my children to follow him, my family to know that he is first. I want this church to know that he is first and the world around us in close proximity and all over the place to know that Christ is first, that he is the greatest, that nothing we could ever seek on this earth can be greater than the love that we find in Jesus, that he has given us hope. Do you know that you are his image bearer? You were created in the image of God and he loves you. And your job is to bear his image to the world, to be his light and his love, to be his hands and his feet, to show others just how good God is. That we love him first and we love the world because of that. Did you know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he already had you in mind? That before he laid the foundations of the world, he knew that we would sin. And he said, I've already got a plan in place because I love my people. And I want my people to know and to love me. Did you know that before any of this was created, he had a plan to make men holy and to set us free and that he wants a deep and loving relationship with you? In the beginning, everything was good. But we live in the middle. It's not always that good. It can be hard. Heartbreak and hurt seem to reign. Sin and death and pain have entered division, comes among believers and non-believers. Who do we love? We love those who are created in the image of God. There was a beginning and there will be an end, a re-beginning, a new beginning. On that day, God will create new heavens and new earth, a redemption of his story for eternity. He will right all the wrong that has been done to his creation, restore his people in all the fullness of what We should be in his glory, new bodies. God is making all things new and one day it will all be as he intended it to be. We have victory until that day. N.C. Wright says this, he says, the living God has come with healing and hope in Jesus Christ. He has picked up a battered and dying world 
and has bound up its wounds and set it on the road to full health. That's what Jesus came to do for us. To pick us up in this battered and dying world that we live in, to bandage our wounds and to set us on the road to full health. But only when we come to him. We look for ways to find health ourselves, to find our own healing, but Jesus is our hope. He's your hope, if you believe. We live in a dying world, trying to save it, yet Jesus already has. Only Jesus can reach into the depths to save us. Only he can redeem the world one person at a time. But you must believe. You must have faith. You must focus first on him. One day all will be made new. One day all will be overcome. And we have faith in the victory that has overcome. When we say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then we know we are born of him. Confess him and we're baptized into him and we say, I'm going to follow. It may be difficult at times, but I know his commands are not burdensome and I know he loves me and I can follow him and trust him because he has a better life in store. Faith is the victory. It's not about making a name for myself. It's about making a name for the one who has saved me. So do you believe in the name of Jesus, the son of God? Do you stand for his kingdom? Do you know that one day all will be made new? That he wants to make it new in you. If you do not know and do not believe, find him today. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But for all of us, we know that the story we live in began in the beginning. When the word was with God. And then he came into the world to be light and to be love. And we who follow him carry that story on today. Great Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you. You have redeemed us, called us to be your image bearers in this world, to live as yours to stand for your creation, to know the goodness of your name, to call all men to Jesus. God, I pray in this place, if there is even one who needs you today, that they would make that decision to follow, to be baptized into you and to say, I am giving everything to know and honor you. God, you are good and full of grace and mercy, and we are thankful for you today. May we live your love in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So thankful for you. Would you stand right now? We're going to give you an opportunity to maybe decide to follow Jesus for the first time. If you'd like to do that, I'll be right over here and talk to you. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'd love to do that as well. But let's respond as we sing. Understand that one day all will be made new.